everybody. Welcome to That's Life, where when your kid has costume day at camp, and instead of dressing up like a baseball player or a princess, she wants to dress up as you, that, my friends, is a good day. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here right after Allison and right before the live lunch, which I will be hosting today. As everyone knows, Nachum is out this week. Um, the live lunch goes from 11 to 1. And we thank you for joining us today for the program and coming to you from the home of the Nachum Siegel Network on the absolutely beautiful Lower East Side today. I am joined by Avrami, who needs to grab his mic. There we go, because we don't do this all the time. There, we- Hey, all right. It has been a while. <laughs> yes, I was commenting to m- in my head, noting, noting in my head that I have not heard my own theme song in a while. How are you? Thank God I'm doing all right. Yeah, thank God is right. We are all doing okay. Nahum has been out this week. Um, he is sitting Shiva. He gets up tomorrow, and he looks forward to returning on Friday. And, of course, we wish him and his siblings um, all well. And uh, we look forward to having Nahum back on the air next week. And, as I had mentioned on Tuesday when I subbed for him on Jam the AM, and I will mention again tomorrow morning, Nahum and I travel, please God, to Israel this Monday. Yes, the man is a consummate professional. He gets up from Shiva, and he gets on a plane. Uh, yeah, we look forward to joining Nefesh Benefesh on Monday for our, I think it's my fourth flight of rum. That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome, but I keep coming back. That's a little bit of a downer. Well, your family might miss you if you didn't. Right. Um, the kids. The kids would miss me. I'm not sure of my collective family. Anyway, if you are a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. If you are a returning listener... Thanks, as always, for making us part of your day. Follow us on Twitter, Nachum Siegel Net, all one word. Miriam L. Wallach, also all one word. It is National Aviation Week here in the United States. Actually, sorry, it starts on Sunday. Um, National Aviation Week, it is the week of Orville Wright's birthday, which is on the 19th. But this week, Rami, you clearly are not participating, but it's Elvis week. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, Um, right. So I'm sorry about that. It's also International Left-Handers Day today. I'm not participating in that either, but but, uh, shout out to all the lefties out there. Shout out to Mayor Fertig. Yes, Mayor Fertig is a Southpaw, as is my nephew. You want to hear something interesting? My nephew um, writes with his left hand and bats with his right hand. I was like, can but can he train himself to go out to hit both ways? Or? Well, he probably could. He is an unbelievable athlete. He actually starts for the Max, for the YU Max, and he plays on the YU golf team as well. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, he's not bad. So anyway, it's definitely possible. Let's do a quick fortune cookie. We haven't done a fortune cookie in a while. Um, we're going to get to that, and then my guest is on the phone, and I'm very much looking forward to bringing him into the conversation. But we do have to do the fortune cookie first because who knows? It may actually have to do on the interview. Here we go. You will find great contentment in the daily routine activities. Well, <laughs> I would say that that is correct. You are listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. My guest joins us on the phone from Israel, Matt Reese. Matt, can you hear me? Yes, I'm here, Miriam. How are you? I am well, sir. Good morning. Matt is an award-winning crime novelist who is the author of The Ambassador. The Ambassador, which he actually collaborated with with Yehuda Avner before his death, and we can talk about that, and I look forward to, to discussing that in further. The Ambassador is a novel, and it is based in 1937, where in a fictional turn of historical events, the British cabinet accepts the recommendations of the Peel Commission, establishing a Jewish state in the land of Israel. Dan Lavi is a young diplomat sent by Ben-Gurion to serve as the country's first ambassador to Berlin in an effort to secure exit visas for possible as, for as many Jews as possible. 
Surrounded by the terror and atrocities of the Third Reich, Dan struggles to uphold good relations and diplomatic protocol with those who want him dead, negotiate Nazi party politics and allied pressures, reconcile his love for his family and his loyalty to his country, and to stop the final solution, even if it costs him everything. And we cannot have uh, the pro- we cannot have Mr. Avner on the phone. And of course, we remember him with blessed memory. He was a wonderful, wonderful man and um, an unbelievable author and. and- diplomat on behalf of the state of Israel, but I am so happy that, Matt, you could join us today. Great to be with you, Mary. So tell me something. Um, can we start about about what it was like to work with Yehuda Afner? You know, the, it, it was amazing. It was actually the most fun. In many ways, I think writing this book was the most fun either of us have had in our lives. Wow. It was really great because, you know, you would the day that he and I sat down and said, okay, this, we're going to write this book was actually the day that his doctor told him that he had three months to live. Oh. And you would think wow. that writing a book with a man with a terminal illness about the Holocaust would be a bit of a downer. But it was actually wonderful. It was really wonderful. I can't, I, I'm thinking how best to explain it. Mm. And I can only say that, you know, he, he got so much life, even as his life was ending, from writing this book. Wow. And, and, I usually write my books on my own. I just stand in my lonely little room like a typical writer and <laughs> tap things out. And maybe once in a while, someone sends me an email that says, you know, your book didn't suck. Well, <laughs> this is wonderful because every, every couple of days, he and I would sit down. And instead of him being a guy who had a terminal disease and me being a guy who thought, you know, well, what am I going to do with this next book? Suddenly, we just said, OK, we're going to Berlin. It's 1938. And you know what? It's 1938, and there's Israel, and there's an Israeli ambassador there, mm. and we're going to make history different. We're not going to say, okay, in our book, there's no Holocaust, because that's not what we're at. Right. But we're going to say, okay, if there was an Israel, what difference would that make? Because it's, it's a way of saying, what difference does Israel make in the world now? Uh, this is really the parallel we're trying, to, we're trying to draw with the book. So working with him was just wonderful, and, you know, at his funeral— one of his daughters came up to me and said, you know, that he used to get really excited when I would be coming over to have one of our writing sessions. Wow. Uh, and, and after I would go, he would, he would look like a guy who was about to die <sighs> again because you just got this energy from it. Wow. And I think it's important for all of us to remember. Well, this is really what, what came out of it for me is I thought I am always going to have some creative project, some relationship with somebody who makes me feel creative and alive, whatever the subject, however old I get or however sick I get, that's what I'm going to do. Because that I saw how, how much life it brought to him, even, even as his life was technically drawing to a close. He was just full of energy. This is like your, this is your own Tuesdays with Maury. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. It was really wonderful to be you know, sitting in his office in Kiryat Wolfson, which you may know in Jerusalem, just sure. across the valley from from the Knesset, and talking about not just the subject of the book, you know, and the, the days of the, the Holocaust and how things would work differently uh, in our book, but also talking to him about, you know, wh- when Menachem Begin said this to him and when Yitzhak Rabin called him up and things like that. It was really just a, a lovely thing because he was, uh, you know, he was a guy with an interesting background, even for Israelis of his generation who generally had interesting backgrounds. 
You know, he um, the, the 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 beauty and the love and the romance with which he wrote the prime ministers it was a mm-hmm. ve- very interesting voice, a very unique voice um, in terms of the perspective that he was giving to history and his accounts of history and to demonstrate his love of the state of Israel. Was it hard to to maintain that or because this was a novel and not a first person account, did you have a lot of leeway? We started the book with uh, an idea of who the main character would be, but pretty soon I realized, hey, this main character is going to be Yehuda. Uh, Even though he's a totally different man, a fictional character who lives in, well, what was then British Palestine, and then becomes the new Israeli ambassador to, uh, to Berlin in 1938, I realized that what I want and what that man would need would be the characteristics that Yehuda had. Uh, and so after we'd been writing for a few weeks, I said, you know, the main character is you. And he said, hmm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, just went, he said, as he did with a lot of things, you know, he said, okay, let's just see where we go with that, see what happens, you know. And uh, the collaboration between the two of us was just wonderful. Uh, and... I think that, you know, my hope is that this will make people think uh, about the role of Israel and its role in whether, you know, protecting Jews uh, around the world, its role as in diplomacy, um, and at the same time to do that not by reading something that's dry and uh, a political tract. Um, but something that really gets you engaged on an emotional and psychological level, because it is a thriller. Yes. Uh, you know, it's supposed to be, I think it is, really entertaining. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I, I hope that, that that will engage people in a way that, uh, you know, straightforward political speech doesn't. I actually had a very unique experience, I think, reading the book because I was reading it while on vacation in Israel. And there was something to me about sitting in Israel and looking around at the Israelis standing around me saying, I wish you could see what I'm reading. I wish you could uh-huh. I wish you could understand that. And almost like I had, I don't want to say a leg up, but an insight into what could have been if the, you know, if what the events that took place in the book had really transpired in real life and how different Israeli life would be today and how different their lives would have been. It was just, to me, there was like, I'm looking around and sitting in real life and and immersed in this lovely, you know, this incredible fiction. And there was something about the juxtaposition of those two moments that really struck me Mm -hmm. and very much for me added to my experience as a reader. I'm really pleased to hear you say that because one of the things that, we we really talked about myself and, and Yehuda was getting the character of Israel and of Israelis, even in this book, which is about you know a time when Israel was was very different from the way it is now. Uh, you know, one of the the most important scenes in the book is a a meeting that we we contrived between Ben Gurion and Adolf Hitler. Yes, and we we really wanted to to show readers. In case they don't know, many people know, but, you know, we wanted to show them the real character of Ben-Gurion because Yehuda did work with him. Right. um, And to show that at a time when no one in Europe wanted to tell Hitler what he needed to be told, 
um, we we brought probably the only man who, if he had been face to face with him, would have told him what he needed to tell to be told. A man who was who was very determined, but quite irascible, very argumentative. Maybe not the you know not the the most pleasant of guys uh, to have across the table yeah. from you, but certainly someone you wanted on your side. And it's really a, a way of saying, just look at this. If Israel exists, and you have a man like that at its head, he can tell people like Hitler or whoever they are, even on a smaller level, what needs to be told to that person about Jews, Judaism, and history, and what happens to people who persecute Jews in the end. All these things uh, are the things that Yehuda and I said we want to have someone actually say that to Hitler's face in this book. And I think that scene worked very well, but it was one of the most enjoyable scenes to write, because as I sat down to write that, I had to think, okay, imagine... Imagine I had that moment where I could say, okay, Adolf, this is what I have to tell you. And, and if, if people are reading it, I would like them to think, you know, what would I tell him? Hmm. You know, not just, uh, you know, I hate you or anything. But what would I tell him that might actually not be convincing to him because he was a psychopath, but what might actually make me feel like, okay, now he knows. Even if he ignores it, now he knows. And this is, this is something that I think all of us think about on some level when we think about the Holocaust, but we don't have to ever put it in that, those terms. Right. This, is, this is a book where we have an Israeli who can say, well, an Israeli who can actually talk to Hitler, because of course there were no Israelis until after Hitler died, but an Israeli in this book who can stand there in his office in the Reich Chancellery <laughs> and say, this is what you need to know about Jews. And it was a lot of fun to write that. I wa- I read that scene and I I mean I could imagine it from the pictures I've seen of Ben Gurion from the footage you know from the archives etc I imagined this small man in stature with this you know in a button down you know a button down shirt approaching Hitler with the strength of a nation and just standing up a David and Goliath moment. And I'm reading this and I, I was totally shaken by the enormity and the, the, the strength of those words that you had put down on paper. So if you were, if you were wondering as to whether or not that scene works, it works a hundred percent. Oh, wonderful. Thank you're, you. You're listening, yeah, you're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm joined by Matt Reese, who is the author of The Ambassadors. It, the Ambassador, it is a novel that he co-wrote. Can I put it that way? Yes. Excellent. Yeah, co- co-wrote with Yehuda Avner. It is being released by Toby Press next month, which will be five months after the passing of Yehuda Avner, a, 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 a unbelievable, formidable member of of um, of the of the Israeli life and and history and diplomacy and talk about somebody who gave for his country that is that is certainly mr avner let me ask you a question about historical fiction in general if you don't mind because i am a lover of historical fiction when we look at history and we say what if this and it, it for that reason 
and I, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie. Are you familiar with Inglorious Bastards by, by Quentin? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the movie Inglorious Bastards by Quentin Tarantino is a phenomenal movie because what happens? Hitler gets killed. And um, not only does Hitler get killed in an unbelievable fashion, but more than that, he gets killed. I mean, this is part of one of the things that I like about it. He gets killed by a woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. and I love the I love the turn of events. I love the fact that there's this movie out there by a, a you know powerful movie maker, a powerful director who says, "What if we had you know Hitler had been killed? How would the war have changed?" But <clears throat> and so the the book, The Ambassador, was reminiscent of that entire time period and our ability to look at history and say, "What if this had happened instead?" But where do you think historical fiction falls within the canon of literature? Do you, do you, as an author? I mean, I know you're a mystery writer, and mystery is certainly an important part of all of our literature, literary experiences. But do you, do you find that historical fiction um, lags a little bit in terms of its the seriousness with which people take it, or it has come of age? Certainly, any kind of uh, genre of fiction tends to get sniffed at by someone. Um, but I think historical fiction has a great capacity to tell us about what's happening now and what might happen in the future. It's just like studying history in general. But, it, but historical fiction does it by allowing us into the minds of people who we are pretending existed some time ago. Now, some writers just make it all up. Other writers, like myself and Yehuda, partially imagine ourselves into those characters, but we can also take the words of, of real historical characters and, and use that to build their character on the page. For example, in the book that we have, The Ambassador, a lot of what Hitler says is actually taken from his speeches right. or taken from other people's diaries where they reported what he said to them. A lot of what Adolf Eichmann, who is a major character in this book, says is taken from his testimony uh, at his trial or from the, the, the interrogations before the trial. A lot of what um, his SS colleagues, uh, such as the commandant of Auschwitz, say is taken from their trials. So we, we took those things and used them to build let's say, a realism into the characters which, which will make people, I think, think more deeply mm. about uh, the reality that we're examining. But the characters that we have as our, our main protagonists, um, the Israeli ambassador and the, the, the Mossad bureau chief in Berlin, uh, are more imagined. But both Yehuda and I knew a lot of have known a lot of uh, Mossad people, uh, and Yehuda himself was ambassador to to Australia and and right. the United Kingdom. So we were able to do all that with with I'd say quite a, a good deal of, of veracity. Right. So there is there is there is plenty of fact <laughs> in the yeah. in the book. The words are many of the words are real. I think that is. You know, uh, also, I agree with you. That is a tremendously unique opportunity, a unique perspective that certainly authenticates a work like this because it makes it that much more real, that much more plausible. I love the fact that in the book, women also play a strong role. And I wonder if that was inspired by, you know, women in the 1930s in Israel, um, you know, 
taking on what might have been male-dominant roles, but because everyone was rolling up their sleeves, there was a state to start. There was a, there was a, well, I shouldn't say in the 30s, there wasn't a state to start, but in the, in the, in the, in the guise of the book, you know, it would have been this chalutza, you know, these pioneers, these, you know, was that part of the inspiration of having women play such important roles? Well, there's two things to mention about that. One is, you know, I was a journalist during uh, in in Israel during the uh, the Intifada 2000 to 2005, and the story that I wrote as a journalist that I'm most proud of is one where I looked at um, life for both Israeli and Palestinian mothers at a time when. Uh, let's say the atmosphere around them is so male and macho and, and full of militarism and killing. And it's the, it's the story that, that I came from deepest in my heart because mm. I, I, I obviously if, if women were in charge of the world, I think things would be very different <laughs> and certainly the Intifada wouldn't have happened. But anyway, uh, the, the, the other thing to mention about that is that for Yehuda, if you ever asked him, what was it like in, in um in 1948 what was it like during the the war of independence the first thing he'll tell you about is the story of his sister-in-law his his wife mimi had a sister who uh went into the the jewish quarter of of the old city in jerusalem um and refused to be evacuated and stayed there until the end and was shot dead there wow. uh and that that's the thing that he goes to uh whenever he would think about that war he would think about her and it's the only time in in the the six hours of documentary that was made about the prime minister's his uh, his nonfiction book. When he recounts that story, it's the only time he tears up. Hmm. And I think it's because he he recognized that she was making a sacrifice as a woman in a in a context which had been just completely messed up by by men. And I think that that's one of the reasons why both he and I wanted to make. The, the female characters in this book so uh, appealing and and significant bold the word i kept on thinking mm. the word i kept on coming up with every time i you know got we got i got further into the book and and got to know the characters more these women were bold and mm. um you know there's something about there's something about a, a woman and her strength in the first place but then you have a jewish woman and it takes on a whole new appeal so i I just met these women in your book and I was like, wow, they, you know, they know what they stand for. They have a mission. They're part of something. They're respected. They have guts. They stand up. And to me, that was also, I'm sure, a major, ju- going back again to the setting of the, of the 30s, a major juxtaposition as to what was happening in Nazi Germany. Well, boldness, it's interesting that you mentioned that word because it's something that we talked about Yehuda and I, both in terms of Israel in general and in terms of the characters in this book uh, and the way to respond to history. Hmm. In, in this book, as I mentioned, we don't, we don't have our hero do something which then means, oh, look, there was no Holocaust, because right. we actually we didn't want to say, okay, you know, some, somebody could have done something and everything would have been okay. It was clearly a bigger there was a bigger historical pattern going on than that. But in the book, uh, the ambassador is under a lot of pressure from his friend, the Mossad bureau chief, 
to take action against Hitler, um, whereas the ambassador is trying to work with Eichmann to rescue Jews. It's a terrible dilemma, and it's one that, that really drives a lot of the book. But one of the things that we wanted to emphasize is that decisive action can change history. And it's, it's something that politicians, but also voters uh, and analysts of, of, uh, of a situation should be thinking about. And one of the facts that, that I uh, turned up during the course of our research is that when the Nazis actually sat down at, the, at Wannsee to, to formulate the final solution, um, of the people who would eventually die in the Holocaust, 80% of them were still alive. 16 months later, 80% of them were dead. Hmm. So we, we always think about the Holocaust as being almost, you know, as long as the Second World War. But actually, almost everyone who died, died in basically in that one year. Wow. And, then, and then most of the others who died were, were the Hungarians who Eichmann got rid of them in a couple of weeks right at the end of the war. But basically, the bulk of, of the people who, who died were in just over a year right then. So we tried to imagine how could you change that one decisive action at that moment wouldn't have meant there was no Holocaust, but it would have meant that that Holocaust had a very different uh, dimension to it. And that's really what we we're getting at, that, that there is a moment where if you get the right moment, a decisive action, let's say on the part of Israel or on the part of America, uh, can change a situation right now in the Middle East with Iran and nuclear weapons, for example. Wow. That is... Let me tell you, that is an incredibly powerful message and certainly one that is incredibly timely today as we consistently call upon um, our listeners and our audience to be in touch with local politicians and ask them um, to speak out against the Iran deal, considering that the, the enormity of one person's actions on the potential of history is really quite amazing. Matt Reese has joined us today. He is the award-winning novelist who co-authored The Ambassador with Yehuda Avner. It is being released by Toby Press next month in September. Matt, I, I truly appreciate your hard work, and, and I imagine that many, many other people as well once this will, will once this book is released. I wish you absolute hatzlacha on this endeavor, <laughs> and um, I hope you'll join me back on the air again. Absolutely. It's a great pleasure. Thank you, Miriam. Thank you. You've been listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Miriam Elwal. Thank you for making us part of your day. Let's go through today's lineup. The live lunch will begin yeah, in just a few minutes. I'll be hosting today. Nachum again is off. And then from 1 to 2 is a it is a uh, it is the stunt show with Leora Zamek. It is a encore of Leora's episode on the topic of happiness from two to five. Throwback Thursday, classic Jam in the AM from August thirteenth, two thousand and two, featuring Eddie Izzo, Joey Bodner, and Shlomo Saffer. And seven from seven to eight, an hour of Jewish Soul with Charlie Burnout. Join me tomorrow morning from six to nine a.m. As, as I sub for Nachum on JM in the AM, live here on the stream, NachumSiegel.com, JM in the AM.org. There will be no weekly update tomorrow with Malcolm Honline, but please God, it will return next week. Naomi, tomorrow, table for two at 9 a.m. Her guests include Captain Michael Bram. He is a USAF, USAF chaplain based in Anchorage, Alaska. Sarah First of Kosher Troops and Orly Goddessman of Blends by Orly. That is also an encore. I have heard that show. I'll tell you, it's worth listening to twice. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull this Saturday night from from what time, Avram? 
9 to 10. What time is Shabbos out? Early, well, earlier than nine. I was just actually asking what time Shabbos is at. 10 p.m. I'm like, you know, literally just asking. 10 p.m. Renowned speaker, Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, host Eternal Frame. 11 p.m. David Lichtenstein with headlines. Sunday morning, J.M. Sunday from 7 to 9 with Matis. Again, a mazal tob to the wine guests and Engelmeyer families on the wedding of Ellie and Ariel that took place on Sunday morning. I leave you today with Hafachta by Diaspora. It is a throwback Thursday moment, folks. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys.
You've been listening to That's Life with Miriam L. Wallach. Coming up next, live lunch with me, Nahum Siegel, right here at the Nahum Siegel Network.